the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Very proud and privileged to be joined in a very squeaky chair by Representative Britt McKenzie from Northwest Arkansas. Representative. You're representative now. I don't have to call. I don't have to say representative-elect anymore. Yeah, that's right. So Thanks can, for having me. Congratulations. Um, let's, we're going to have to leave a memo for Dave about these chairs. Yeah, we'll but. get a little WD-40. I've got some <laughs> in my truck. We'll spray them down, but. How are you? I'm good. I'm yeah. good. Better Welcome. than I deserve. T- tell us about your district. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know it's not in this area, but somewhere up there around Fayetteville. Yep. Right? I'm in God's country. Uh, I'm the eastern third of Benton County. My district comprises Rogers, downtown Rogers, so the east side, the old side of Rogers, um, Garfield, Gateway, and Avoca. I have about, uh, as I like to say, I have about 85% of Beaver Lake, um, which is just a a gem, a, uh, a wonderful tourist destination we have up in God's country, northwest mm. Arkansas. Sounds beautiful. Mm-hmm. I've heard of some of those places. Mm-hmm. Rogers. I've been to Rogers. Um, so what's it been like? Legislative session coming in, coming in hot. I was talking in the first hour, you know, like how personally insane I think it is that you guys get elected. You get like 60 days with Thanksgiving, Christmas and New Year's in between. And then it's like, OK, you're you're an expert now. You're you know, you're a state legislator now. Good luck. Mm-hmm. What's that process been like for you? Have you found the bathrooms yep. yet? Like. What's it, what's it like? Yeah, you stole the punchline. Uh, you, you hear whenever you come in for orientation in those 60 days, you know, you, it's going to take you about eight weeks just to find the bathroom and figure out what elevator to use. It's been great. Uh, it's, it is a learning process. You know, a lot of – we're a citizen legislature. We're supposed to come here with the perspectives of the folks who send us here and our towns and our communities in mind. Um, I have the, the fortune of working in some deliberative bodies before, working for um, – um, state legislatures in different states, uh, working in the political process a little bit. So it's been fun. Uh, it's, you know, they say is politics is the art of the possible. So um, getting down here, you come kind of come with your punch list of stuff you want to accomplish, not only for uh, your folks back home, but in terms of making sure that all our Kansans are represented and we're, we're being uh, an original in the way that we, you know, uh, look at the Constitution and how our statute affects people every day. Um, and then you got to rub that up against reality and you have to figure out you know what can we get done and what can we get done for the most it it reminds me of an Eames quote it's doing the most for the least for the most Um, you know just trying to get as much done as we can that uh, takes as little of resources or tax dollars that affects everybody Um, not just people back in the seventh but everyone in the state of Arkansas so you, you you feel like it's been not a terrible assimilation kind of into the system but you're you're a little bit of an outlier right because you've worked in legislatures you've worked in other states Mm -hmm. um but but so you think it's been not as difficult maybe as it's been no other people you know we we've you know thank goodness i'm coming to you on march 9th the day after we signed learns into into law which i'm very fortunate of and getting to sit on house ed that is something that I think a lot of us in the legislature were waiting with bated breath. We wanted to, to get that package in front of us so we could have the, the dialogue, the discussion, the debate, and move, and move from there. Um, you know, I'll say the first six or seven weeks were pretty slow. I mean, we could watch Pack yeah. Drive to a certain degree. But um, it, it's a good thing, I guess, if you're, if you're new like me coming in, uh, you get a chance to understand the people. You get a chance to understand, you know, if you have an idea, how you take that idea and, and you, you know, put it into a bill draft. And how you take that bill draft and you work the legislative process, you get by and you understand um, who are the people, not only in the legislature, but those that are part of the larger, I don't want us to use the word bureaucracy, but it's Dave, the Dave Ellswick, so I can say the bureaucracy, you who can you need buy-in. This is a safe uh, space. Yeah, exactly. Uh, who you need to get buy-in and promote buy-in from. So th- I guess it's a blessing and a curse. That, that knife cuts both directions where we had a lot of time to, for someone like me as a freshman to figure it out. But we also moved a little slow. Uh, We'd yeah. like to see more. Uh, I've been saying, and I'm happy to say it into a hot microphone, I'm ready f- to get back to being a citizen, part of the citizen legislator. Um, you know, 90 days, I think, is, is a adequate enough amount of time for us to come in every two years and, and get the work done for the people. Well, it's a good, it's a good point because it, it, once things picked up so quickly, it was, it was easy to forget like how slow things were for a while. Mm-hmm. And so 
uh, I think part of that, you know, for me is there were a lot of new members, obviously new gu- gubernatorial administration coming in. Mm-hmm. Obviously, education was kind of still in the works. And so, um, yeah, I think I think that's a good a good reminder that things didn't necessarily move as quickly early on in the session as we've seen in the past. And so hopefully that's been helpful for for some freshman members to get get their legs under them uh, a little bit more. You mentioned Learns Act. Definitely want to unpack that a little bit. Um, we, we talked about it in the first hour. There's going to be a lot to unpack on the Learns Act for years and years to come, I think. But in particular, since you're on the House Education Committee, and I just keep hearing just it, it, probably for the rest of time, we're going to hear from the left about how it was rammed through and and it was rushed through and it was, you know, I got a, I got a, you know, a tweet from a reporter the other day telling me how, you know, it, it, it was two weeks, Nick, and that's just too quick for a, 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 you know, a package of this size. And I'm thinking the whole legislative session is only 90 days. We spent a month. It was one month from the day the governor announced the plan to the day she signed the bill. One month exactly. That's a third of the legislative session, right? So from your perspective as a new member and as a member of House Education Committee, what was the process like? Do you think it was rammed through? Were there any legislative corners cut? I mean, just talk to us a little bit about the process and how we got here. Yeah, I mean, I've heard the same thing. I've, I'm accountable to my constituents back home, and um, I think that was a bit of a meme. It was a bit of a trope of, oh, this this happened overnight. Um, this was it was filed on at 5 p.m. on a holiday, and you know, the, supposed to be heard in committee on a Wednesday. Um, it, I would, I would. I definitely agree with constituents and with those who have reached out, those who even aren't my constituents, about you wanting to make sure that they fully understand legislation that, that we propose down here. I would always ask the first thing that, that those people do is actually read the bill. Um, the second thing is... <laughs> wasn't it, possible. No. It was well, what I was told. Well, well it, it was it, so long and there was mm-hmm. no time. And yep. I mean, they only had a month to read it. We, yeah. Now, I read it in a weekend and wrote a paper on it, yeah. but, you know... yeah. Not everyone had that opportunity, I it, guess. It, we've also heard a lot in the last few weeks. There's a lot of recency after Learns has come, went back to the Senate for concurrence and was, was signed by the governor yesterday of um, some of us were you know, just trying to saddle up to the, the administration or some of us were trying to uh, or, or are fearful of what would happen if we voted no. Um, and that's the only reason mm. that we got a historic 78 votes on mm-hmm. a universal eligibility uh, education freedom plan. Um, I just hate to remind people that I announced to run for this seat January 10th. My, you know, all of my materials and, and website and everything went live. Two days later, the first bullet point on all of them was school choice and educational freedom and empowering parents. The, the meme that there aren't legislators who have been, and, and I'm the first to admit, I said it to a lot of folks in the rotunda yesterday at the signing, was I inherited about 20 years worth of hard work That's right. that legislators have put into fighting for school choice in every way they can to succeed scholarships um, or you know, grants or waivers or freedom of mobility or whatever it may be. And, and I was really fortunate that um, Representative Keith Brooks mentioned in his speech yesterday that Representative Ken Bragg, was, who's now helping the, the governor's administration after he has left the legislature, um, that was, has been a part of this process because he's been fighting doggedly for years for school choice. That meme, going back to what I initially started, is false. We have legislators. We have a large number of our body who have run on and who have fought for these these principles for years and i'm happy to be a part of it i'm glad i got to play my very small role in it in terms of being on house education i did get to see as a member as a republican member of the house education i got to saw drafts and working documents prior to the filing and so we had the opportunity to give input and it wasn't a here's the bill take it for what it's worth. We got to provide feedback and make edits and, and technical corrections or accounting for certain elements that, that were in the act that was uh, signed into law yesterday that weren't in the initial draft. So that, that the whole... Uh, were, there any, were there any teachers or educators involved in the process yes, at all? Because I've, I've, I've heard it on really good authority from mm-hmm. like six people on Twitter mm-hmm. that there were no teachers in the entire state of Arkansas mm-hmm. that were consulted whatsoever. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, obviously, you know that's untrue, but yeah. you you were you were a part of the process. I mean, you 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 know that firsthand, right? There were educators, Correct. and superintendents, and teachers, and others that were involved in the process. Yeah, and, it, and it, comments and, and uh, obviously sarcasm like that is it runs in the face of what our job is as legislators. Our job is to take 
policy ideas and go back to our constituents and run this against what works in our community. Um, you know, I had great conversations, not only with you know, members from the Rogers School District, but uh, uh, neighbors and family and friends who are in the education sphere. And, and we talked about this and not everything was a hundred percent in agreement, but we also, a lot of us came away from those conversations that every legislator had, we have to do better. I mean, when 64% of kids can't, and I, we, we yeah. have the caveat, can't read at grade level, which in third grade means they can't read. Um, yeah, is a significant point. data point that we can't let go of. And if you can't read, we were talking about this in the last hour, if you can't read, it's going to be real. I hate to say you can't work, but it's going to be really, really mm-hmm. difficult for you to work and be, uh, you know, quote unquote, productive member of the Arkansas economy, which means you're going to be a lot more likely to fall into government dependency, into poverty, into crime. I mean, education really is the foundation of, of all those things. And I think reading in a lot of ways is the is the foundation of of education okay too <laughs> um so um totally lost my train of thought but when it comes to the learns act what what's next so it's been signed into law mm-hmm. obviously this isn't over mm-hmm. right like yeah. the law's in place but there's a lot of work left to be done what do you kind of foresee happening over the next six to 12 months and what what should listeners kind of be looking out for yeah it's it's the promulgation of the rules and regulation process and and i know that was even used as a a foil against learns was how many times we talked about that but um we all write bills that ask for agencies to promulgate rules based on you know subject matter expertise and the facts of the day um so the 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 rules promulgation process starts now working groups are being established to discuss some of these issue areas uh one that i've i've mentioned secretary leave i've talked about in committee is early childhood education something i'm going to be not forcing myself onto a working group for but very focused on and figuring out as we move some of those functions from dhs over to ade uh not only the licensure but other elements making sure that we're accountable to it the process is uh is running smoothly um secretary leva has assured all of us and i've i have utmost con- confidence in his leadership and his ability to lead ade um but it's it's the hard work is next i mean that is the scripting out how we're going to about go go about executing this this uh revolutionary or this re- this uh, bold reform is is what's going to happen in the next 6 to 12 months. All right, we're talking with Representative uh, Britt McKenzie from the Rogers area. we got to go to a break. Can you stick around for one more segment? Okay, he'll stick around. We'll be right back after this on the Dave Ellswick Show. Uh, privilege to be joined with uh, in studio by Representative Britt McKenzie. We've been talking about the Learns Act, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, I just want to say one more thing on that before we go on to another issue, but you see these these folks, and I know some of them are not real. They're bots and all these other things, but... Y- you would think that, like, the governor showed up and, like, proposed legislation to give everyone in Arkansas a unicorn and passed it in 24 hours. I mean, like, just if you're just looking at – and even the headlines. I mean, a lot of the headlines from the traditional media outlets in Arkansas and the TV coverage and elsewhere, you know, Bill rammed through. Bill continues to move at mock speed, you know. And, and again, to your point, we were talking about in the last segment – this is something that school choice, educational freedom. I mean, conservatives in Arkansas have been talking about this for 20 years. The governor talked about it in her campaign for two years. You talked about it in your campaign for a year. Th- this is not a surprise. Um, I know there were other things in the bill outside of that. But frankly, none of that was a surprise because the governor outlined all of it mm-hmm. a month ago. Um, and and again, I've been around for a little while watching the legislative process and working on legislation. Spending a month on a bill like this, that's not that's not a particularly short period of time. I mean, 30 days out of a 90-day session um, is, is not insignificant. So I want to be sure before we run out of time, I want to get your thoughts on a few other things that are happening in the legislature. I know you had – is it – SB one seventy nine one ninety seven one ninety seven. I was close. so close, yep. so close. Um, but a pretty significant piece of legislation that you passed, and I believe is now been signed into law. No, so we have, it's going to it's it's going to be heard in um, a special order of House, City, County, Local next week. It's passed through the Senate. Um, had uh, twenty nine votes for, for the, the bill in the Senate. Yeah, it's it's my the the like I said before in our first segment. There's you come down 
here and you kind of have grand ambitions or you've got your own punch list, the top of my punch list was SB 197. But back then it was just my legislation relevant to short-term rentals. Um, so it's not through the House yet? Not through okay, the House. I guess I'm, yeah. I, I'm misunderstood. No, so, no. But, so tell us what it does and mm-hmm. why. I know this was very important. You're yes. very high on the list. Why do you think this is so important and what's it going to do for Arkansas? Yeah, so this bill, it's it's not 144 pages. It's actually quite um, it's it's pithy in what Not it does. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. We all need to learn to read better. Um, but it, it, what it does is it goes it goes about by redefining short-term rentals as residential property. So um, this was brought to me and a, a conversation that's highlighted in my district with constituents of mine who live around Beaver Lake, gem of tourism in northwest Arkansas, as I've mentioned, um, in that we are seeing municipalities, localities, counties, and towns all across the state of Arkansas um, creating regulatory framework or out-and-out bans on short-term rentals within either their incorporated areas or if it, you're, you know it's a larger county outside of that. Um, you know, I, I, I gently nestled in the, the eastern side of Benton County. My zip code touches two zip codes that have out-and-out bans on short-term rentals. Um, and and what, what these bans do is basically they distance our citizens from their fundamental rights that are also enshrined in our Constitution, that we have the right to own property, and it is not a privilege granted to us by government. So we have towns that are going and saying, you know, your property we value higher, your property we value lesser or lower because of what side of the street you're on based on a zoning tier or, you know, the fact that you happen to have bought in a town thinking that, well, I'm going to get to do with my property what I please because... You know, when my feet touched the ground this morning, they landed in the United States of America. So, you know, we have we have some municipalities that are trying to play more or less king with individuals' property. And, you know, my, what my bill does is it redefines resi- as short-term rentals as residential property and also precludes municipalities from creating a regulatory framework that, that would disallow individuals from using their property as a short-term rental. Um, you know, we have many municipalities have gone out and they said, you know, we're going to create a tiering system where uh, near points of interest, you're in, you're in tier A. And, you know, if you're further away, you're in point B. And we're only going to allow a cap on the number here. Or we're going to create a licensure, which I don't understand why you would have to own a license to, to keep your you – know, to own your home and operate your home. Uh, and, you know, I, I've studied this problem. I had folks in the district go, hey, you know, we're – this is a uh, vacation area. You know, the lake is a big attraction in the summer. We stay here in the winter. We use our home to help supplement our fixed income. And we're worried that our whatever form of government is going to come in and say, actually, now add $2,000 to the end of that bill. Or every, every four months, you're going to have to go and get an inspection on the house where people are going to come in and just look at smoke detectors. But based on the number of rooms, you're going to have to pay a, f- a fee. So, you know, we have amazing tourist attractions in the state of Arkansas, and a lot of them are not in Little Rock or not in downtown Bentonville. They're a little hither and hon. They're a little further to get to. And as a result, you know, we shouldn't be relying on infrastructure that doesn't exist to have folks who are our customers, tourists are our customers to the state, come here and say, I want to invest in your community, even if it is for a weekend or for a couple of days, because well, that municipality and their city council decided that they don't like short-term rentals, therefore they've regulated them out of existence. So hope you enjoy going and seeing Coos Hollow, but you can't because the town closest to it has decided that regardless of how much money you want to bring into our community, you know, we don't want you to have an experience you appreciate. So it's in-house, what house committee? City, county, local. City, county, local. And how are we feeling about getting it out? It's an uphill climb. I mean, that's that's the legislative process. You you know, no... no, uh, uh, no friction, no fire. And, and we're trying to figure out what we need to do to the legislation to make sure that it is passable, but maintain its essential core that it's, it's, fa- it's rooted in our Constitution in the state of Arkansas. We have you know, jurisprudence that proves out the fact that these residences are, or these short-term rentals are, are uh, residential property. So we're, we're, we'll get there. I'm, I'm confident and optimistic about it. All right, SB 197, check it out if you're interested in that. We're going to go to a hard break. State Representative Britt McKenzie, thanks so much for joining us. Um, we'll be back on the Dave Ellswick Show. Thanks again to State Representative Britt McKenzie for coming by. Really appreciate his time and also what he's doing in the legislature. I think there's there's very few freshman legislators that you see come in and be able to make the impact that he's making already as a state legislator. So very grateful for him and, and for the work that he's doing. Um, we're now joined by a good friend and a good friend of the show, 
State Representative David Ray from Maumel. David, are you with us? I'm here. Good morning, Nick. All right. Hey, we got the phones working. All right. Good. Glad you're here. Thanks for thanks for being here. Hey, I know things are crazy. We won't keep you uh, keep you super long this morning because I know there's committee meetings and other things going on. But I did want to take time to to talk to you about HB fifteen ten special election reform. Tell folks a little bit about what is happening with this piece of legislation. What are you trying to do, and where do we stand right now in the in the legislative process? So I'll, I'll start with your last question, which is where is it at in the legislative process? This bill has passed out of the House. It passed out of the House with 74 votes, which was um, great to see that level of support. We even had uh, a little bit of bipartisan support on the bill. Not much, but a little bit. Uh, and it's in the Senate committee now. So there's a good chance we run it this morning. Um, it's a little bit further down the agenda. So Assuming there's time, we'll try to run it today on the Senate, in the Senate committee. But here's what it does. We, we call it special election reform because it impacts local measures and questions. These are things uh, like a, a local option sales tax, a property tax increase for your library, et cetera. And it would require that when those issues go before the voters to be approved, that they have to be put on one of two dates each year that are reliable and predictable for the voters and those being the primary election and the general election. That's a big change from how it's historically been done in Arkansas because what cities and counties, unfortunately, have done in the past is hold these special elections at irregular times um, to raise taxes on our citizens. And in many instances, that is part of a deliberate strategy to really keep turnout low. Um, if you read, if anybody read the editorial in the, in the Democrat Gazette this morning – actually said it really well, better than I could. Um, They said, it goes like this. A district, town, or county wants a tax, but it doesn't want it noised about. So it puts it on, it puts the ballot issue on some day in February or August, lines up its teachers union or government employees or other interested parties at the polls and passes the tax when few other voters are paying attention. And that's what we're trying to prevent with this bill. Um, and it's a good bill because it'll lead to lower taxes on our citizens. Uh, it'll lead to more voter participation, and we'll quit wasting millions of dollars on these silly special elections. Yeah, I think that's a great summary of why it's needed. And, I, I mean, I've heard from folks who would say, well, it, it's not necessarily going to lead to lower taxes because, you know, sometimes, sometimes uh, I'm told, I've, I've not really observed this in my personal experience, but sometimes, apparently, tax increases fail at special elections. But I think the other two points are also really well taken and need to be remembered, which is this isn't just about defeating local tax increases, right? Because certainly cities and counties, you know, at times may need to raise some revenue for special projects and things like that. But it's really about making sure people have a say and that more Arkansans have a say. And if they decide not to go vote, that's one thing. But when they don't know that there's a vote happening, that's something totally different. Uh, and then also to your point about wasting money, I mean, there's a lot of money wasted on the administration of these special elections. I mean, the, every single election that, that occurs costs taxpayers money. Even if the tax may fail, you're wasting money on more and more elections. And a lot of times, to your point, there's regular elections that are just around the corner but for some reason, cities and counties can't seem to wait a month or two uh, to put this before the voters. No, you're right. And here's here's what we know about the data of these special elections. So the, the Arkansas Center for Research and Economics, which is housed at UCA, they have really done a ton of research on this topic, compiling old election results. And what they did is they went all the way back to 1981. 1981 was when Arkansas first allowed for local option sales taxes. Since that time, there have been 1,004 sales tax increases on the ballot since 1981. And uh, what they found is that 82% of those local option sales tax elections were held on a special date, not in line with the primary election or the general election. So why would local governments four out of five times – over the course of decades and decades, consistently choose to put these on special dates. 
The reason is because of the pass rate. If you look at um, the pass rate on these issues in special elections, they pass um, they pass 76% of the time when they're put on a special election date. But if they're put on the primary date, historically they only pass at about a 57% rate. And if they're put on the general date, they only pass at about a 44% rate. So there's a huge difference. And again, we have a sample size of over 1,000 elections to pull from. So we know that these trends bear out over time, over several decades. And um, as it turns out, when voters actually know when the election's going to be held, it's a lot harder to sneak things past them. Yeah, that's that. That data is is pretty compelling. Uh, I think that uh, pretty much pretty much makes the case open and shut for me, um, David. I want to ask you as well because I know this is something that you've been passionate about for a long time, and you put a lot of legwork into this last legislative session in 2021. If I remember correctly, it it wasn't able to get out of the house. I think a couple times. And then this time it gets over 70 votes. What, what do you think the difference was? What, what made the difference in getting this bill, you know, get, getting some momentum behind it and getting it moving this legislative session? I wish I knew, Nick. Um, maybe, <laughs> maybe, it be that, maybe it is that uh, some of my colleagues were having sympathy on me um, because I've run this, uh, worked on this issue for so long. Uh, maybe they were just tired of voting on it. But, no, in, to be a little bit more serious, um, we have a huge freshman class this year. Uh, there's 26 new freshmen in the house. So literally a quarter of the body turned over and a lot of the members that cycled out were older members that, that what I don't mean old in terms of age, I mean, old in terms of experience, they were, they were more tenured members that were really just comfortable in a lot of instances with the status quo. And a lot of our a lot of our newer members that came in this session are more reform-minded and uh, willing to consider reforms like this one that will move our state forward. So I think that had a lot to do with it. Um, and many of those names you'll see are listed as co-sponsors on the bill. We had 42 co-sponsors in the House, so wow. it had a lot of support. Well, I think you're spot on from what I've observed. It seems like this legislature, particularly in the House and well, and in the Senate, um, but is a lot more reform-minded. And I think probably some of that starts at the top with the governor that's a lot more reform-minded as well. But it seems like, yeah, it just seems like there's a lot less resistance to kind of these these tired narratives of, well, this is just the way we've always done it. And, well, this is just what my, you know, my mayor and my county judge said, and, and they're concerned and they want to be able to basically, they, they want to be able to have uh, special elections anytime they want, regardless of how many people show up. Uh, it seems like some of those tired narratives have just kind of fallen to the wayside a little bit. And I, I think, too, there's a little bit of a takeaway for me and maybe for other legislators that are listening that, you know, your persistence on this issue. I mean, you joked about, well, maybe they've just got tired of hearing about this. But I, I do think there's something to be said for, you know, not giving up. And like if you're trying to do something that's really, really big, uh, sometimes it's going to take a couple tries. But, you know, if it's worth doing. Uh, it, you know, it, it, it maybe isn't going to happen the first time and, and you got to just kind of keep pushing, keep pushing and keep building consensus. And it, and it seems like you've done a, a really great job of that. Well, I appreciate that, Nick. Look, I, I have long believed that, you know, if, if bills are passed, if, if my bills are passing with 96, 98, 99 votes, um, I need to step up the degree of difficulty a little bit. <laughs> you know, we, it, we, we weren't, and I, I don't, I don't believe our voters sent us here to do easy things. I think they sent us here to ta- tackle problems and address challenges and, and work hard to make important change, and that's what I'm trying to do. Well, I definitely agree, and I think you're you're doing a really fantastic job at that. We've got about a minute left. Anything else you want to let folks know about that you're working on or uh, any other bills in the hopper that, that you think are really, really important and need to be paid attention to? Oh, there's so, well, there's so many bills coming through at this point. Um, I, I don't have any off the top of my head that I want to preview, but one I just, I'll just bring to people's attention that, that just passed that's somewhat related to this is we passed a bill to require voter approval of A&P taxes. This is the hamburger mm. tax. And um, I sponsored this bill, and I, I'm very glad I put an emergency clause on it because I've learned through the grapevine there are multiple cities around the state that we're trying to implement 
uh, this tax to be before the bill passes oh, yeah. the law, trying to oh, yeah. decline. And um, the governor's going to sign that bill today, is what I've been told. And so, because of the emergency clause, it will go into effect today. And oh, um, that's tremendous! We'll, we'll have protected those taxpayers from that. Well, that's great work. And David Ray, thanks for joining us. There's a lot of things people could say about you, but one thing they will never say is that you're not a friend of the taxpayers. So, uh, really appreciate you and all your work. Uh, we got to go Thank to a break. Did. Thanks for joining, uh, David, and we'll talk to you soon. We'll be right back on the Dave Ellswick Show. This is Nick Horton filling in for Dave. We've had a lot of good conversations this morning already with state policymakers about, frankly, just some of the really exciting stuff that's happening at the state capitol. I mean, I can't remember. I've been around for way too long. Uh, I'm not going to age myself here, but I've been around for many, many legislative sessions now um, at this point, and... I've not seen I've not seen one that's more exciting for folks that care about limited government, reducing the size of state government, putting parents and kids first and parents back in charge of what's happening in the home. There's a lot to like out of this legislative session and it's not over. We got a month left. So I think we're I think we're just getting started and certainly Governor Sanders is is just getting started. One of the things I think could get some traction coming up is regulatory reform. It's not really something that we've ever focused on here in the state of Arkansas and said, what are we doing? How let's do a comprehensive review of the burdens that we're putting on taxpayers, small business owners at the local level, at the state level. And let's make sure that our rules are fair and clear and easily complied with. And so with that in mind, uh, I'm privileged to invite in Mr. Patrick Gleason now. He's the Vice President of Government Affairs at Americans for Tax Reform. Patrick, thanks for joining us. Hey, Nick. Thanks for having me. Yeah, glad glad you could make it. I know it's short notice, but I'm really glad you could be here. Uh, you wrote a, wrote a great piece in, in Forbes recently, and I actually got a few state legislators that read it and sent it to me and said hey this is great like we should we should think about doing this here in arkansas um, the title of the piece is texas proposal could become a national model for reining in regulatory costs just t- talk to us a little bit about what's going on in texas and what do listeners here we got a lot of legislators that listen to the show a lot of uh, activists and conservative folks across the state what do they need to know uh, about what's happening in Texas that, that could be happening here in Arkansas. Yeah, we'd love to share that. Well, your optimism about what's happening in Arkansas, the state capital is justified. Um, and that optimism is actually justified in other states, too, because there's a lot of good reforms pending in other state capitals around the country this year. It, you know, of course, there's income tax cuts moving in many states, including more income tax cuts moving in Arkansas, like what Representative David Ray has proposed. And that's all very exciting. But there's other uh, reforms moving as well on the regulatory front. And, and I'm glad you're focusing on regulatory policy now because you know, might be asking, why does a group who focuses on tax issues primarily also get involved in regulatory issues? Well, you know, if you talk to a lot of employers uh, of all sizes, they'll tell you that taxes are certainly a problem for them. But for a lot of employers, regulatory costs are also a major problem. For some employers in some industries, they might even be more of a problem in some states than uh, tax burdens. And so um, this is a real problem and a challenge facing not just individuals and families, but employers. And these regulatory costs that get imposed on businesses flow down through to consumers and individuals, just like tax burdens do. And just, just to highlight the regulatory cost burden we're facing. So Competitive Enterprise Institute puts out a great annual report called 10,000 Commandments. And in that annual report, they tabulate uh, the total, total federal regulatory burden, the cost of all federal regulations. And the most recent report found federal regulatory costs now exceeds $1.9 trillion. To put that in perspective, that's almost exactly equivalent to the $1.9 trillion in combined federal income tax collections, both personal and corporate. Wow. So the federal regulatory burden is now basically on level with the federal Tory personal income and corporate tax burden. So that's, that's where regulatory costs are federally. And at the state level, and obviously it varies from state to state, but at the state level, regulatory costs are also a problem. 
uh, in some states, uh, getting close to the tax uh, uh, cost uh, for many businesses and families. So legislators are, that's why legislators are looking to find ways to rein in regulatory costs. We've seen some good models come out of some states, Wisconsin, I can get into that more later, what they did under Governor Walker, but more immediate right now, you're, you're asking about the reform pending in Texas, and the reform pending in Texas is introduced by uh, a representative named Dustin Burroughs, and his reform would basically eliminate and prevent a patchwork of local regulations like they have now in Texas and like they have in many states where localities put, impose a host of uh, rules and ordinances and regulations uh, that add new costs uh, and impose additional costs on businesses. And so while Texas has done a great job of keeping their overall tax burden low, you know, being one of only eight states that fund state government without an income tax, having the sixth lowest overall average state and local tax burden, according to the Tax Foundation's annual index, you know, despite everything they've done to maintain a very attractive and hospitable tax climate, we have a problem with regulatory costs in Texas at the local level. And so, you know, Issues keep coming up every year, new local regulations that lawmakers have had to respond to and beat back with preemption bills. The example is uh, localities in Texas, Denton, namely, were trying to ban fossil fuel uh, uh, production in those areas. And so state lawmakers had to step in and pass legislation to prevent localities from banning fossil fuel development. And they had to come in and step in and pass other preemption bills. Well, what Dustin Burroughs, Representative Burroughs' bill now would do is would basically be, uh, apply, be a broad preemption bill that would say any regulation, any regulatory activity uh, that is uh, handled by the state uh, that is not something that is in the purview of locality. So if an activity or an industry is regulated in some way by the state government, then that is off limits for uh, local officials. So it prevents prevents like duplication of different types of regulations. Correct. And so and this has a lot of benefits, aside from the fact that it prevents a lot of uh, cost-increasing lo local regulations and preventing and creating a patchwork that creates significant compliance costs for uh, businesses to navigate that patchwork of local regulations. In addition, uh, you know, to preventing that, um, it, what this would do is it would be, have a really big time-saving component. So rather than needing to get into debates over soda consumption or plastic bags or whatever the next thing that local officials are trying to tax or regulate, rather than having to go in and debate each of those things, flavored bait products, you know, there's been a host of new uh, regulatory fads that local officials have gone after. Rather than have to get into the nitty-gritty of each of those, Representative Burroughs' bill makes, is, is a broad uh, law that makes it so local officials just cannot regulate those various things. And so you don't have to get into each of those, and you don't have to come back and respond with multiple preemption bills to stop whatever the next new misguided regulatory fad is catching on among local officials. So it prevents a patchwork of costly local, local regulations, uh, and it really has that time-saving aspect so they don't have to keep coming back and passing standalone preemption bills. So what are you mentioned the uh, the vaping regulations, uh, the plastic bags at the local level? What are some other examples, maybe in Texas or really in other any other state that you've seen? I'm sure we have some similar ones in Arkansas, but just to bring this issue alive to life a little bit more for some of our listeners, what are some more examples of those types of local regulations that this would kind of try to rein in? Well, so to, talk, to go back to um, flavored vape bans, Columbus, Ohio, the largest, most populous city. Uh, in Ohio, in addition to being the state capital, uh, they passed a local uh, flavored vape ban. So any flavored electronic cigarettes or vape devices, um, those cannot; those are no longer allowed to be sold uh, in the most populous uh, city in the state of Ohio. Ohio lawmakers passed a bill uh, to preempt uh, such local prohibitions and would have overturned that um, Columbus uh, flavored vape ban. They passed it at the end of last year. Um, Governor Mike DeWine, unfortunately, vetoed that in January. And so that, that means that local flavor ban is going to go into effect. However, had a, a law, a, a broad preemption law like what Representative Burroughs is now proposing in Texas, had something like that been on the books in Ohio, the Columbus flavored ban would have never been able to move forward. Law, state lawmakers there would not have had to uh, expend finite time and resources uh, to address the matter. Um, and, so, and so that goes back to the time-saving aspect. Um, and also, aside from 
saving time for state legislators so they don't have to keep coming back and beating back bad uh, misguided local regulations that pop up. It also helps focus local officials, I think, because it helps local officials focus on the core functions of local government so they don't try to get into regulating climate change and trying to uh, alter global temperatures. And you know, some people might laugh, but local officials in some localities, even in red states, are trying to do that. Um, so with various carbon taxes or cap-and-trade programs, um, even though they wouldn't have an impact on global temperatures, we're seeing local officials spend time on such things. Soda taxes, uh, plastic bag regulations, styrofoam bans, things of that nature. And so we've seen things like this pop up, but who knows what the next thing is? There's going to be some new product, oh, ride sharing, home sharing, Air, Uber, Airbnb. We've seen lots yeah. of localities try to either regulate or restrict these things. And so state officials in many states have had to respond and come in and prevent those localities from doing that. Well, having a bill, having a law like what Representative Burroughs has proposed in Texas makes it so you don't have to, you don't have to keep coming back and doing that. And you, you, like, like just like how we didn't foresee Uber and Lyft and Airbnb and all these new companies and platforms coming online, who knows what's going to be in the next industry or sector years down the road that local officials are then going to have a misguided or ham-handed or costly response to. So not knowing what's coming around the corner, this bill has such a broad application that, you know, the state is really prepared for whatever comes down the pike. Yeah, we're talking with uh, Mr. Patrick Gleason. He's the vice president of state affairs at Americans for Tax Reform. I think you know, to my knowledge, I certainly need to dig into this a little bit more and what this looks like in Arkansas. We're a little bit of a rural state. We've got some, you know, we've got some metropolis, uh, metropolitan centers, Little Rock, Northwest Arkansas. Um, but it, it, uh, I think what what I could potentially foresee playing out here is now we've got this really conservative state legislature. We've got a really conservative governor. The, the the special interest groups that want to come in and overregulate everything, whether it's vape or or grocery bags or climate change or all these other things, they're not going to be able to get much through the state legislature for the foreseeable future. And so while we haven't seen a big problem, you know, a massive problem on a massive scale at the local levels, that could be coming because now they're going to need other avenues to try to kind of get their nose under the tent and start to advance some of their regulatory schemes. And so uh, it, I don't know if you can speak to that, Patrick, if we've seen that in other states. But I think as the state legislature and state policymakers get more and more conservative, it's it seems to me to be a real possibility and a real threat that this type of stuff is going to become more and more of a problem at the local level. I'm so glad you mentioned that, Nick, because uh, Representative Burroughs in Texas, that's exactly um, one of the things he mentions that prompted him to introduce this bill. You know, a lot of bad ideas are no longer brought to the state legislature there because they know the, you know, those conservatives uh, who run that state government are not interested in bad ideas and bad new taxes and regulations. So they do uh, now push those at the local level. That's where the the new front to where a lot of bad ideas have moved to. Um, so that's absolutely the case. And we've seen that in other red states where you have uh, competent conservative uh, leadership that's taken over, like in Arkansas. And so that's absolutely something to think about because you know, a lot of states have done a good job of keeping spending in check, have been doing a good job of bringing down tax burdens. Um, but while you're doing that, if you're not mindful of what locals are doing, you know, local governments can do a lot to counteract the good that's done by state legislators to create a, a hospitable and attractive tax and regulatory environment. And that's what uh, Texas lawmakers have realized. They've been keeping spending uh, growth below the rate of population inflation. I mentioned their low tax burden. However, local governments have been spending uh, at an unsustainable clip. They've been imposing costly new regulations, and they've not, not been governing as well as the state. And so state lawmakers are now seeking, stepping in to address that. So being mindful of ways to keep local governments in check is something uh, that is advisable for state lawmakers who are also pursuing really good pro-growth uh, state-level reforms like folks in Arkansas are. Um, and, and one thing I'll just mention is, you know, in opposition to such proposals that preempt various local regulatory and tax powers. You know, we hear a lot of people say, just talk about local control and how they're about local control. You know, local control is not some 
high-minded principle to be blindly adhered to. Uh, there, there is no local rights. There's local powers. Local governments have powers, and the states created local governments. Um, and so yeah. if the local government is doing something that infringes upon someone's freedom or liberty um, or, or diminishes prosperity, I think it is uh, justifiable and, and responsible for state legislators to step in and with a response that will you know, protect the liberties and freedoms uh, of their constituents. And so that's why we think uh, a proposal like what Representative Burroughs has proposed in Texas makes a lot of sense. I will say it's um, he control, Representative Burroughs is head of the uh, Texas House Calendars Committee, which controls uh, which what goes to the House floor. So the, the sponsor of this reform in Texas controls what goes to the House floor. He has a really good sponsor for his Senate companion bill. Governor Greg Abbott has already voiced support. So we're really optimistic about the chance for passage in Texas this year. But as you mentioned, as, as uh, a lot of smart uh, Arkansas lawmakers have recognized, this is a good idea, not just in Texas, but this would do a lot of good in many other states. And so there's a lot of there's a lot that lawmakers in other states I think can learn from Arkansas right now when the leadership you all are taking on things like uh, universal school choice and pursuing further income tax reduction. There's a, a lot that uh, lawmakers in other states can learn from Arkansas and should be doing to follow their lead. But there's also things that Arkansas can learn from other states and find good ideas and best practices from other states. And I think what Representative Burroughs has proposed and is likely to enact this year is one such example. So if this were, yeah. I think this, I think Representative Burroughs' reform will spread to other states and would love to see that happen in Arkansas. Well, we're going to be keeping an eye on it. Patrick, thanks so much for joining us. We've got to let you go and hop to a break. Um, we'll be right back on the Dave Ellswick Show. Patrick Gleason from Americans for Tax Reform, thanks so much for your time, man. Extra privileged to be joined by Representative R.J. Hawk. His, your first time on the Dave Ellswick Show. Right? It is, yes. Um, I, I've been on the Kim Hammer Show okay, uh, okay. on Saturdays, but right. I've, never, I've never been on the Ellswick Show. Well, welcome. Glad you're, that you're here. You're a much younger version of Dave Ellswick. Yeah, much, you know, I've been told I'm a much younger but far less good-looking version of Dave Ellswick. <laughs> so I'm wearing that title proudly. Yeah. Um, so, Representative R.J. Hawk, just freshman. call me R.J. Just call R.J. me R.J. Yeah, just call me R.J. Okay, thank you. Because I'm because here's the deal. Like, I, I before I got elected, everybody just called me R.J. Right, and and like the whole representative thing. Like, I understand it, it's got its it's got its flair to it, and that's great. But I don't want to be known as. Just Mr. Representative, call no, me RJ. I'm a, no, I'm a normal guy. You're a common man. You're a man I'm a, of the I'm people. I'm a normal. So call me RJ. Yeah, you're a man of the people. All right, yeah. RJ. I appreciate it. Yeah, Representative RJ. <laughs> um, thanks for being here. Yeah. I know we've only got a little bit of time because you got to get to the Capitol. It's important stuff. Very important stuff. I'm yes. sure happening this morning. Mm-hmm. Tell us just a little bit about your district and why you decided to run for office. So District 81, uh, Bryant, Alexander, Shannon Hills, a little bit of Benton about that Hurricane Lake Estates uh, area. And uh, you know, I ran in 2020. Uh, I was on the Bryant City Council for four years. I ran in 2020 uh, against Keith Brooks, who just championed the Learns Bill, and. Um, it, at the time, the district was split between Saline County and Pulaski County. So you went from Bryant all the way to Bigelow uh, was the district covering West Little Rock. And um, I, I ended up losing to Keith by 24 votes. Um, mm. it, it was a it, it was one of those things that, uh, you know, folks in Saline County knew me quite well. It's when he, I couldn't get behind the gates over in Chennault to go talk to people. And, and Keith knew folks over there. Either way, it didn't matter because it actually worked out better because when they did redistricting, um, it was a Saline County only district, and, and those were the people that I knew that I, I, I go to church with, and and uh, so I, I ran and and won. And uh, you know, look, I, I am all about, and I, I've done this on the city council, um, helping people. And I know that's very generic. I, I know that is a very cliche thing to say, but um, my track record shows it. Um, you know, when it, when I was on the city council, if there we we have water issues in Bryant a lot, and you know, people were having problems getting their bills paid or, or just getting in to talk to somebody about a, a wrong bill. Being able to pick up the phone and call somebody and say, hey, can you help this person out? Um, while I was in Bryant, we raised the police and pi- uh, fire pay that hasn't been done in nine years. Got that done without raising taxes. Um, and, and so things like that, I, I, I got into it. I enjoyed it. And so I said, you know what, let's, uh, let's give it a shot. And uh, I ran and ran again, and I'm here. I'm pleased to hear that it's possible to like do things in local government without raising taxes. That's, yeah. that's very contrary to the, the way I was uh, 
taught in in Cersei in White County. But you, you uh, got to cut things. You know, I yeah. mean, one of the things that I, I, I you know, I wanted, when I was in the Bryant uh, City Council, we cut the AMP tax, and I was pretty proud of that. And That's a big deal. It, it was not it was not done right, and um, uh, we we went in and cut it out. And, and I heard from a lot of business owners that said, "Hey, appreciate that because of the fact that." You know, while it doesn't direct the, directly affect a business owner right then and there, they have to add that to the bill. So if, right. if you're going to have a uh, an eight dollar tag at, at McDonald's or wherever, well, it now may be eight dollars and seventy five cents, and it just keeps adding to the bill. And so it makes it look like those establishments are raising their prices when they're really not. It cuts into their margins yeah. too because yeah. it reduces the amount that they can profit because there's a point at which you can't charge, you know, you can't charge $25 for a hamburger. So at some point it cuts into there and they, and then also, you know, they have to administer it. Yes. And so it's it's complicated. And I'll say this, I'm I'm for an AMP tax, but only if the people get to vote for it. Well, but, because, good news. Well, I co-sponsored that bill. <laughs> good for you. I I co-sponsored, but like I'm okay with it if if the community comes out and says, "Hey, this is what we want. We want to be able to do capital improvement projects that are going to bring tourism to a, a city." Then I'll, I'm all for it. But let the people decide whether yeah. they want that tax. Yeah, I agree. Well, you have a great radio voice. You should consider. A, I've, I've done it once. A career. I've done it once or twice. <laughs> uh, so let's get let's get to state issues. So yeah. you're a brand new freshman yeah. legislator. Mm-hmm. What's and we've been talking about this throughout the show a little bit in terms of. You get elected, you got three major holidays, and then you're sworn in, and it's like go. You yeah. know, you're expert on everything. What's the process been like getting your feet under under you? Have you found the bathrooms yet? Oh man, I, I, I got that done like day three. Uh, you know, I'll tell <laughs> you, that, you know, yeah, that was. Uh, but you if know, you don't find the bathrooms, you're you're gonna have some issues. Yeah, and I'll tell you this that that every if I heard it once, I heard it a thousand times. Everybody says, oh, it's like drinking out of a fire hose, right? Well, it is, but it's more like when the session gets – so you go through orientation, and it's a week-long orientation on how to do this and how to do that. But there's no, like, hands-on, like you're actually getting to go to the window and file your bill, or you're not actually sitting in a committee meeting and hitting the mic and, and, and talking to the chair. It's when 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 the light goes green and it's it's time to go – that hose that everybody says you're drinking out of, you might as well just take it off and put your mouth up to the fire hydrant and turn it on because it's coming at you full full blast. And uh, that it's been an adjustment. I mean, you know, I this will never happen. I'm not advocating for this. But, you know, you'll hear people say, well, it maybe needs to be a four-year term, right? And part of the reason is is because in two years, it's hard. To, it takes you four weeks to figure out what, what you're doing, right, on the initial session. Sure. And so you're you're kind of learning on the fly, and so you're not really getting to represent who you came for because you're still trying to figure out how to file a bill. Um, I'm not advocating for four years. I'm just saying you you hear the conversation. You heard now, it here first, folks. Uh, no, Representative you did not. R.J. Hawk no, advocates no, no, for no. You don't don't tweet that out because I I don't need that in my life. Uh, but uh, you know, for P- I'm a quick learner, so I can I can get. There are people though that that. They were week nine, and they're still trying to figure out how to. Find well, them. I think I mean, and I think just from what I've observed, I've been around a little while. Even if you're a quick learner, like it's just even if you figure it's different. out, it's different. Even if yeah. you figure out the process, yeah. Then there's the policy side, mm-hmm. right? So you got what are we doing with Medicaid? How much are we spending? How many people are on it? What are 100%. we doing? What are we doing with the tax code? What, where where can we cut? Where are we overspending? I mean, there's state government is so big. Mm-hmm. We got two to one the number of state employees per capita as Tennessee, for example. So there's just so much to be done and. You know, it, it, it's tough when you're trying to do things really quickly that are, you know, touching so many programs and so many state agencies and so much money coming in and going out the door. Um, but to that point, what are you working on? Tell us about some things that you got in the queue. So, you know, I started the session out with a big one. Uh, it was the DUI bill so that if you have a, a family member, like you, so uh, if, if a parent uh, is killed and they leave behind a child, that the person that committed the DUI would not only go to prison for X number of years, but when they get out, they get a job, and they have to start paying restitution to that kid. Um, we're still working through this because I found, to your point just a moment ago, that Arkansas is a very complex state when it comes to the judiciary system. Um, a lot of states have a uniform code. 
uh, of how they're going to do things, Arkansas doesn't. Every county does something completely different. And so what we're doing is we're, we're leaving this on an interim study so we can bring it back next session and, and kind of see how to make this work with all 75 counties so that, you know, it, would, it might work in Pulaski County, but it may not work in Saline or, or Crawford County. And so we wanted to make it work throughout the entire process, getting all these county clerks, county judges, you know, uh, prosecutors in one room and saying, hey, what do we got to do to make this work? Uh, so that's still on the docket. Uh, something I just filed um, last week, um, it, it's, it's the Athletic Officials Abuse Act. So um, I'm, I'm a former high school official. Um, and I've got a lot of friends. I don't know if you saw up in Mountain Home a couple weeks ago. A fan comes out of the stands and throws a haymaker on an official because he threw he called the wrong block charge call. Wow! These guys are really? these guys are paid part time. They're not full time employees. A lot of these guys have jobs within their communities. And, oh sure, and yeah. they're they're getting paid sixty five dollars to officiate a, ba- a basketball, football, whatever. Right now in the state of Arkansas, if you abuse, like if you push around an official or you punch one, you're going to get a misdemeanor. And as it sits right now, with this law, there's going to be there's going to be a step, right? So if you if you punch one or or harm one, that they then have a disability afterwards. Like the the guy five years ago in West Memphis that got punched in the eye and he's now blind in his right eye. No way. That is now a class. That if this passes, it would now be a class B felony. Um, if, if you go and, and bruise a guy up and, and rough him up, he's fine after the fact, uh, class C felony, right? And, and then, uh, the third level, if you're just threatening and, and like, say you guys throw a guy up against a chain link fence, don't really harm him. It's a misdemeanor, but it's a 10 day in the County lockup with a thousand dollar minimum fine. Wow. And, and really, what this was Good brought this was brought to me by officials. Um, yeah. We've got a shortage of officials in the state of Arkansas, um, and, and they said, "Look, we just want to be protected. We we want people to know that if they come after us, there's going to be consequences." And so uh, that's something that we we that I filed here recently. The other thing that has been brought up um, by by people constituents this is a constituent issue um, the ban of certain breeds of dogs, and so. Um, if you if you know what a lot of people refer to this as the pit bull ban, right? Um, and at the end of the day, you it's an illegal ordinance that is being passed by cities across Arkansas because they're 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 single, by banning pit bulls. By, by, no, by banning a single breed, okay. right? By okay. by banning a single breed of of dog. Now, what they can do and they're not doing is they can they can do an ordinance called the dangerous animal ordinance. Okay. And so basically there's a track record of bites or, or attacks for a specific dog. For, for a specific right. dog, okay. right? So what this what this bill does is that it basically says, okay, cities counties whatever you can't call out the pit bull or the or the rottweiler or or whatever but you can pass this dangerous dog ordinance or dangerous animal ordinance and be able to do that so uh that that's brought to me by some constituents and and, um getting a lot of support and you know i i bring these things up and you're like well you know, this isn't talking about taxes or anything like that but these are these are things that constituents have brought forth and said we'd like to see this happen so. Well, good for you for yeah. listening to your constituents because, yeah. I mean, I think, yeah, not, not everything can be the Arkansas Learns Bill, yeah. right? Like, yeah. there is uh, just not some, everybody can be Keith Brooks. Uh, right. <laughs> you said it, not me. Yeah. You, know, you said it, not me. But I, I think that's a, a – Which, good. by the way, I was a co-sponsor of the Learns Bill. But good for you. Yeah. Good for you. I, I, yeah. I, was, I think I was num- number two as far as, com- as, far as co-sponsors. It's pretty exciting. Yeah. Uh, it's a really exciting time to be in Arkansas. So – uh, we gotta we gotta go to break right now. Okay, we're gonna go to a break real quick. Can you stick around yeah, for I'll like around four or time. five more minutes? Yeah, okay, I know you sure. can have uh, We're talking to R.J. Hawk, representative from Saline County. We'll be right back after this break. Nick Horton filling in for Dave Ellswick. We're privileged to be joined by Representative R.J. Hawk from Saline County. I won't call you that every time, but Thank just you. when I'm introducing you. Yeah, appreciate um, it. So we were talking about uh, some of the legislation you yeah. got in the works. Anything else you want to mention on that, NIL or anything? Oh, yeah. You, yeah. You, so that, I heard it. something. Yeah, it's amazing how Twitter works. Yeah, right? <laughs> uh, yeah so um, I, I am working with uh, a few other members, but to be the lead on – NIL, which for those that don't know, name, name, image, and likeness for high school athletes. Okay. 
Um, and this and is I, something that exists now at the college level, right? Yes, it does. And it's it's widely being adopted across the country because what we don't want to see is what happened at the college level where a bunch of kids go, hey, wait a minute, we want to get paid. And the NCAA and our states are saying we can't. So we're going to take it to the courts and let them decide. And then they, they create what the NIL program looks like. And that's why you've got a wild, wild west as far as college you know, sports are concerned. And so, um, you know, we haven't filed anything yet on that. We're still working through it. Um, I think what we're going to end up most likely doing, I don't want to say this to, to be definitive, but we're looking at an interim study on something like that just to be able to see, you know, what what coaches and parents want to say during the, the interim. Uh, and plus, you know, a state like Texas, they've got it in their legislature right now to, if you're 18 years old, uh, you can start taking it, taking up your NIL agreements. Well, if you're 18, most of the time you're out of out of high school at that point, right? So you're not really sure. taking up NIL sure. opportunities. So we're still working through it. I know that was um, there. There were people that were uh, widely talking about it on on social media, and it's not even been filed. We're working through the language right now. Okay. All right. Yeah. Sounds interesting. Yeah. I'm curious to see where that goes. Um, let me ask you, curveball here, and I, feel free to. Yeah. You know, punt if you want to. But well, I was a baseball player, so I can hit there curveball. Is, <laughs> there's a bill yeah. uh, that's been filed on the Senate side. We've been talking about it a little bit today, and I'm, I'm pretty concerned about it because right now in Arkansas, we have a really strong asset limit for our food stamp program. Mm-hmm. So we're not saying you can't have any assets and, and, and uh, you know, if you want food stamps, but we are saying, hey, let's keep the asset limit low mm-hmm. so that people that truly don't have resources, I mean, they can have a car, they can have a house, they can have life insurance policy and pensions and all of that. But in terms of cash, in terms of liquid assets, we've said as a state, we're going to adopt the federal minimum. So about $2,700 a year. Yeah. You can have up to $2,750 in your bank account and still get food stamps. Yeah. There is a bill that's been filed on the Senate side, and it was filed last session as well, uh, to increase that amount, the proposal last session was going to go to about forty five hundred dollars. This proposal goes to twelve thousand five hundred dollars. So just for the folks out there listening, you could have twelve thousand four hundred and ninety nine dollars in cash of taxpayer dollars of your own. No, this is of your own money. So you could okay. have personal oh, oh, as of the assets. Right. Okay. In order to qualify yeah, for the program, yeah. you can have twelve thousand. I mean, it, you know. There's been a, there's a lot of people in Arkansas that don't. I mean, the average median savings in Arkansas yeah. is like less than four thousand mm-hmm. dollars. There's a lot of people that don't have twelve thousand five hundred dollars in their savings account. Yeah. Um. There's been you know, that's a lot of money. Mm-hmm. You you could pay for a lot of things for twelve thousand five hundred dollars. So this bill would say you can have that much cash, and still get food stamps. Yeah. What are your thoughts? I, I think that's I, I, I think it's reckless, um, just because of the fact that um, that food stamps are meant for for people that are truly in need, right? Yeah. Um, there there are people, and, and look, at no fault of their own, uh, they're in a bad way and they they need help. Um, I, I'm I'm very sympathetic to that, but I, I think that if you are able to save twelve thousand um, dollars. You're not as needy as what some of these other people are. And I think that limit is, is way, you know, you can't go from, what is it, 2000 some odd dollars? 2750 2750 And jump at ten grand. Now, do you, if you went up to five, I, guess I might be able to see that. But do a $10,000 increase in assets, that's a hard sell for me. Because that, that look, I was, gosh, I... I think I was probably 23 years old, and you know, working, and my parents taught me to save, and I, I had twelve thousand, I had fifteen thousand dollars saved up pretty quick just from from working and doing. Not everybody has that ability, and, and so I think that the food stamps need to be reserved for those folks. Um, if, if you're able to save that kind of money, you, I think you, you you should be eligible for that. Well, I think that's well said, and I think the problem, I mean, just just. You know, practically, in practical terms of how this actually plays out, if you've got twelve thousand dollars in savings, you can afford to buy food. 100%. I mean, just just in raw terms, like if you've got that much cash, why do the taxpayers need to be subsidizing your welfare benefits yeah. uh, or, or your food? Um, and so, yes, I I think that's a great way to say it. I think that is very important that we 
have a strong safety net and a strong welfare system in Arkansas where people that truly have nowhere else to go, that they can get help. The problem with proposals like this to try to expand the income limit or the asset limit and try to expand expand eligibility is that you're taking limited resources mm-hmm. and giving them to people that have eight, nine, ten, eleven thousand dollars in the bank, and then now the people that truly need it, like that money's been spent. Like yeah. it's more difficult for them to get help because you can't spend the same dollar twice. One hundred percent. And I, you know, we see. I mean, we see people all the time. And 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 the other part of that is, you know, some of these people have one, two kids sitting at the house that. No, they may not get a meal every night, or or they may struggle to get a, a small meal. And and if we're allowing for people to take in these benefits at, at twelve thousand dollars, you're not just taking away from the parents, and, and but we're also taking away from those kids. So yeah, I, I think we've got to get to the point, and the governor has been really, uh, you know, clear and really led on this um, in terms of reducing government dependency. We've got to get out of this mindset that. More Medicaid, more food stamps, more cash welfare, more daycare, more of these benefits are going to solve all of our societal problems. We've been trying that for 150 years in Arkansas, and we've got one in three people on Medicaid. Poverty's just as bad as it's ever been, and we're not seeing we're not seeing massive improvements in health outcomes or any of these other statistics. And we gotta we gotta start doing things differently. I mean, I think. Not to mix issues here, but it's it's just like on the education front. We've tried it this way for 150 years. We got to try something different, 100%. and the same thing applies to the welfare system. We've been sending it out for 150 years, and it it's just not working. Yeah, no. I agree. I, I agree with you. I, I would not support a twelve thousand dollar asset increase for sure. Well. Representative R.J. Hawk, really appreciate you coming by. I know you got to get to the Capitol. Hey, by the way, enough about me. Opportunity yeah. Arkansas. <laughs> i got to tell you, for those listening, if you've never been, if you want to be, and I'm not saying this because I'm here with Nick, but I, I, whenever I was running and, and uh, I had somebody say, hey, go, go to opportunityarkansas.org, right? Dot org. Yeah. Yes, sir. And um, go by and check. If you want to stay up to date with what's going on, uh, whether you don't follow the legislature's website or, or just want plain English. Plain English. Everybody yep. needs plain English. American. Uh, yeah. Arkansas. Arkansas. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Hey, tell it to me like Arkansas. <laughs> and uh, anyways, I, I appreciate what you do. Well, I appreciate you. Thank you. That's very kind. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.